Hey there, welcome to our live AMA. Today with me are Mila, solopreneur working in content operations for marketing teams, and Ane, our SEO lead at SaaS Group. And we will be talking about integrating content operations and SEO in B2B SaaS. Super exciting because 2023 hasn't been easy for content creators SEO. Um, and, you know, it's really, really interesting to know what you think about it and what is waiting for us in uh, 2024. But uh, yeah, first things first, maybe let's get into your backgrounds a little bit more about you and what you do. Uh, Mila, let's start with you. Sure. So hi, everyone. And nice to be here. Thanks for the invite. I'm very excited. So I've been working in B2B SaaS, uh, for my whole career, maybe like uh, around five years. And um, so this year and last year, I was uh, head of marketing of Flying Cat Marketing, which is an SEO agency and consultancy. And in November, I decided to go the solopreneurship route because I found deep... Uh, connection or, or I loved all the content operations side of things and I wanted to specialize only in that. So now I am doing content operations consulting and implementation for marketing teams. That's that's my background. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you for joining. I mean, uh, I okay. think you get a lot of questions what content operations are, but uh, we'll get to it. And uh, Ane, let's let's continue with you. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. And I'm really excited to be here. Uh, well, I've been in ACO for over 13 years now. It's been the beginning and up to like my whole career has been ACO. And I've specialized in e-commerce. I was agency side for a long time. And then a few years back started, uh, about three, four years back, started in SaaS ACO. And I've been in that for, uh, for a while as well. And um, yeah, that's that's about it. Like always just been SEO for me. Perfect. Okay. Well, uh, and, uh, you know, since we started kind of talking about, uh, how amazing and a little frightening, uh, 2023 was, and I mean, comment below if 2023 has treated you well, uh, or rent about it, uh, feel free to do that, especially if you're in content creation, but, um, what was the most surprising SEO or uh, content trend for you in, in 2023? Mila, let's start with you again. Okay, so I think I've been seeing a lot of micro tools, uh, SaaS creating micro tools to, to offer for free as like maybe using a feature as a, and creating my, a micro tool out of it. And I've seen it create a lot of, of traffic. And I think it's very fascinating because it's not something that I had seen before and it's really clever and it's useful. So it adds a lot of value. It brings a lot of traffic and it's deeply connected to your actual paid tool. So that for me was like very, very nice. I don't know, like a nice experiment that turned out to be very useful and successful. Okay, that's interesting. Super. Uh, Anae, what was it for you? Well, I guess mine isn't so much necessarily a, a, a good thing that happened. It's more, and it's not specific to 2023, but more like a growing concern. A trend that I'm seeing is that 
a lot of people in, in marketing would take their advice from social media and like they'll take that as the, the source of truth of what would work for them instead of really like selecting the tactics that would make sense for their particular business. And there's loads of case studies that gets posted that doesn't always tell 100% like the real story of how that business achieved the success that they have. So that would, I would say probably in 2023 with all the AI craziness and the rush with that, I think that amplified it, that a lot more people were taking advice from solely almost like from social media platforms instead of sticking to the roots and still the basics of, of what works and and measure what works and not mm. like stress so much about all the new bells and whistles that are coming out as well. Absolutely. But I mean, everyone wants a quick hack. Everyone wants to just, you know, <laughs> let's copy that. It's, you know, and it, it will work because it worked for, I don't know, for HubSpot. But sometimes it's really important to first see like who we worked for and, you know, what they did before that, because the hack only works when, you know, there was so much work before that uh, and so much, you know, boring work and so much grinding and, and testing and experimenting <laughs> and setting the right KPIs. So absolutely. But okay, so since you kind of touched a little bit the uh, AI already, and that was the question last time, right? And it wasn't even the question, like, if you're using AI for work, but what AI are you using? Like, because I mean, we all do that. Let's, let's not pretend it's not there. Right. So do you use, uh, AI for work? How, what are your favorite tools and should marketers be afraid of it? Kind of try to tame it, use it as is. So what's, what's your take on it, Mila? So when it first started, I think it was the boom was in February, right? And for me, it was this is amazing, like people that embrace this technology is going to, well, ride the way, you know, uh, or be a little bit more advanced. I think that neglecting technology advancements is not like a, it's not a great way to go for tech people, right? So we, when I was working at Flying Cat, we started experimenting consistently around it. And what we found was that it's very useful for giving ideas, rephrasing things, you know, all these things that have to do with doing the routine tasks in a better way. However, of course, and as the majority of the people in content and, and, and SEO have said, it's not great. Actually, it's not very good for generating content from scratch, of course. It's just a regurgitation of the SERP which is not very good. So the one, one thing I would, I use it for is for creativity, brainstorming, giving alternatives to phrases, to words, you know, giving me options. And another thing that I like to use is the AI features of other products, right? So when a tool, all the tools, all tools released uh, some feature or some functionality, including AI, so that's the way that I'd like to do it because they have already tr tested and tried it. You know, it's a little bit more processed and a little bit more like um, sophisticated, let's say the usage of the AI. So those are my two go-to appliances, let's say for AI, at least in my experience. I don't know, Anya. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, yeah, I um, tried many AC, um, well, AI tools because I just I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the tinkering behind it. And but I keep on going back to ChatGPT. Like I've got a paid subscri- subscription for it, and I I will stray off to another tool, and then it just won't be as efficient or as simple, like in terms of its structure. And I'll just go back to, to chat GPT, but I use it more as a task master. And, or if I have like an off day where I don't feel very creative, then I can use it to almost like brainstorm a little bit or to prompt ideas. Mm. And so that's useful. And then, as I said, like probably most of the time as a task master, I find that if I put in everything and I give it everything, then the outputs are generally really good. But if you are going to ask it to generate um, something from scratch, if um, even if you have an advanced prompt, it still doesn't really get that right. Um, to give it just an ex- like to give you an example, I'm really into photography. And I th- thought that w- when the AI boom started, like, oh, this is my chance because it's a really competitive industry. And I wanted to always do a blog with some like ads running on it, just a, like a side project. And uh, the workflow was fine. Like it did really well, like putting that up uh, for the website. But when it comes to actually fact checking, like a lot of the content, like photography content is very nuanced, very scenario based, and it got a lot of the stuff wrong so I eventually got annoyed from having to edit and check everything so it wasn't a feasible solution to do content like that at scale with with an AI tool so it's great for some tasks and maybe even for some content types it will also be okay if, if you're doing a glossary or a definition of something and you quickly want that or a table that you want generated that's fine but I don't think it's a good idea to use it still to create content from scratch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing that I use AI for in a use me journey, and Anae knows that it's to generate, well, basically all the pictures that, that are used in our blog, right? So like, instead of constantly bugging our uh, designers like to create something for me, what I did was uh, I created a few prompts that started kind of working very cohesively and now i just use them over and over and and give them give me a journey like a a picture and i say hey you can use it you know as an inspiration and then the experience has been actually pretty good so like yeah if you go to our blog basically all the pictures that are not photos are from mid journey so that, that has been working for me. But Mila, I think we have to get back to you, right? Because content operations, I mean, um, when Anae told me about it, uh, I get really excited also because it's something that is very new for me. And I think for a lot of people who are listening to, could you maybe explain what do we mean by, by content operations? Yeah. Well, a lot of people ask me this question and I really... I think I didn't know what I was getting into. I just know that it was about content and how it works, how to generate content and create content in a consistent way. So after giving it a little bit more thought, because people keep asking me this, I was thinking it has to do with all the roles and the processes and the tech uh, involved in creating content. 
Now, the thing is how, like, what do you want out of your counter operations, right? Because normally what we want is for it to be adapted to our culture, to the company's culture, and that it will allow us to scale content production in an efficient way without sacrificing quality. So it could be a very basic setup, like, yeah, the software you're using or your Trello board in a very basic way, or it can be like more sophisticated using, I don't know, Integromat, AI automation, and different tools. The thing is that it involves not only the tech, but also the roles and the people involved in it. And that's why I always say that it comes with the culture or rather you need to create the content ops that will work with your culture because it really makes a difference. And that's why sometimes it's not like the great match or maybe why it doesn't work. And to create all the processes and workflows with the tech that you have uh, to be able to generate workflows that will be so efficiently uh, put together that you can scale content production without sacrificing quality and still be able to deliver at the same velocity. So that's the key, right? If we are thinking about, you know, stages, you want your content ops to, you want to test it in growth mode and then to scale it so that it could run efficiently and generate more output with the same amount of quality and same amount of resources. Like that's the goal, but it actually can be anything that you have into place to generate content. All right, that makes sense. Maybe a long answer. I don't know, that's great. Uh, But my next one will be, uh, well, how to start thinking about content operations and how to start thinking about putting it all together. Yeah, so as I always say, the first thing is to gather what you have, right? So with all these three elements, what people or what roles do you need uh, to achieve the goal of your content ops? And then what are your resources in terms of tech? And well, finally, what is your goal, right? Do you want to increase velocity? Do you want to, yeah, like improve quality? Do you want to generate more more pieces per month with the same things that you have? So, or, or maybe there is like, there is a problem, there is an issue. I don't know, you cannot calculate capacity correctly. And that is giving you, of course, less ROI of what you have, right? So the first thing is to identify the goal and to gather what you have, what what are you going to be working with to then create a process around it. And for me, the process is not, for example, let's take SEO. Normally, what I see, what I've seen is people starting from keyword research. The problem with that is that well, right now, more, more, more so that we have the EAT update right now, we need to start, of course, with the customer, right? So you need to start from the VOC, the voice of the customer or your customer research. That would be my step one. And I always include that in my workflows, because if you do not include a step in your workflow, you're going to skip it. That's just how it works. And then another, so that, that would be the first, or I said like three steps though. So the first one was about the resources, second, the, and the goal. 
and then we have how you're going to start. And then another thing that I like to include in my processes is not only generating or creating content from scratch, but also what happens before and after. So before was uh, voice of the customer research, then you go to creation, but then we shouldn't forget about distribution, repurposing, recycling, analyzing the data. So for me, a good process includes everything that is unskippable, right? And those are for me, the elements that are not, we cannot skip right now at the state of content and SEO at the moment. So I would say all those things. And then of course, educating the, your team or the people, the stakeholders that are going to be working in that process. Uh, and of course, getting their buying because that, that's, that's why I insist so much in making sure that your processes are culture match. If you don't have buy-in from your people, if the people think that this is not the great way to go, that there are steps that are unnecessary or that you could like buying two steps in one or whatever reason, if you don't have the buying from the people and their feedback, because that's another thing, another element for, for operations in general, uh, then I don't think that's going to be successful because people need to be on board with, with what you're creating. They need to be convinced that this is the best method or the best process for you to get to the type of quality that you need at the velocity that you need it. So I think all those elements that you need to take good care of when you are first starting to think about it and really be thoughtful about it because then it's very easy when you have a trailer board and your process is like super, super simple, but then it grows and it goes wild in a second. So it's very important to be mindful about how you're going to scale it from day one, you know, and iterate. Right. Okay, absolutely. Anna, do you have anything uh, to add from like an SEO point of view and, and how, how you set up your operations there? Yeah, well, within our company, we're very aligned, like the content and the SEO team is super aligned. And I think that's crucial to success of a campaign. And uh, but besides that, I do agree in general with what Mila said regarding you generally get better quality content if you create content and then optimize afterwards and not create your content around a keyword. And this is how your website can quickly get out of hand where you end up with a lot of content that's not really aligned with your business because you chase really popular keywords and you're getting a lot of traffic, but it's irrelevant traffic. So you might not even, in some cases, businesses don't even measure what content drives conversions for them, if that's like a big, important focus. So they they see the traffic report, okay, but do they know which blog posts, which landing pages are driving that value and why that's driving that value? And it's so important to know that. And from Many websites that I've analyzed in the last year, it's a common thing that I, that I often see where from the surf, on the on surface level, it looked like, yeah, that the website was getting loads of traffic. But when you actually go and look at the data, then you realize that the blog post bringing in all this traffic is nothing to do with what the business is about or the 
it's not going to appeal to, appeal to the audience at all. Right. So we got into like this chicken and egg kind of uh, topic, right? What should be done first? What should we take care of first SEO or, or content? So as far as, you know, I'm following your conversation, it's content, right? Mila? In my opinion, it should be content because, well, first of all, you do search engine optimization of content, first of all. So you need the content first. Uh, second of all, not all businesses are going to choose SEO as a channel, and that is fine. It's not for everyone, but content is because at some point you need to say what you're selling and why and what are the benefits, right? You need to communicate and that is content. And But that doesn't mean that you need to put a stake in your wheel to, you know, not follow best SEO practices. Even if SEO is not your preferred channel, you're not going to intentionally optimize for SEO. There is like, why would, you know, put any obstacles to people finding you? So when people ask me like, what should I do about SEO? We are an early stage startup or we don't have enough budget, but we know that we need to start from day one. That's what I like to say. And this is not mine, of course. This is from product-led SEO. And he gives this advice saying, even if you're not going to go for SEO as a channel, optimize for SEO on page, site architecture, you know, like the basics, because then you are facilitating people entering your website instead of putting obstacles in their way, you know? So for me, it's content. I don't know. What do you think? In general, I would say yes. Again, like it will depend on whether if you've had loads of SEO done in the past and you've got rankings and the rankings that you do have at the moment is driving value to your business, then before you start changing content and making updates, you should have a clear benchmark or report on those things so that you know when you are making the changes, you know what to expect from what will happen. And in general, like that, I would say is the only consideration. Uh, but gen, but yes, you content first, and then optimize, and not the other way around. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you for your answers. All right. Well, there was an interesting uh, question here, and I think Anne, this is this is mostly about SEO. So feel free to jump in first. Uh, how do you ensure that important SEO work doesn't get deleted or that signals get skewed when updating content? To keep the answer short, is this alignment is super important with everyone in in the team, if, whether you are an in-house team or working with an agency or a freelancer. It's very important to be aligned and track changes and have record of those changes wherever possible. Sometimes you can use a tool that will help with some of the tracking and some, sometimes it will be as simple as creating a Google Sheet. Depends on how big your brand is and how, on your particular business model, but um, alignment is super important. And I believe that everyone that works on a website should at least know the general best practices of security and SEO because they should know if I delete something, if I change URL, if I put this here, or if I, whatever change you're making, what the effects are of those changes or what potentially could happen. And that's any team member that works on a website should know or have that basic knowledge. And then 
when that usually is in place, then you reduce or mitigate the risk of people just like changing things or undoing SEO work or deleting something that's crucial to your like uh, traffic and conversion generation. I did that once. <laughs> I was absolutely <laughs> scared uh, that Anna is going to notice. So I went back and fixed everything. But <laughs> but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But okay, then let's move on to, to our next question. Yeah, I think Mila, you started talking about that when you gave more of a update how to start thinking about content operations. So how do you ensure content quality remains intact when uh, managing it at scale? So how do you go from, you know, oh, we're a startup, we just, you know, create whatever content just to, to show people what we're doing to, you know, kind of becoming the, uh, the voice of the brand and, you know, the, building the trust with the content? Yeah. So I think the third, the first thing is to make sure that everyone's aligned on what good quality means, you know, because it can mean different things for different companies. For example, when I was working at the agency, we had, we were producing elite content and that meant that it had, it meant certain requirements. But speaking to other marketers, I'm seeing that not all people need or want elite content. Maybe they are okay with good enough content that ranks and that's fine too. So the first thing I think is to get aligned on what it actually means and for all the stakeholders to be aware of what are we going for. And secondly, I think well, of course you need to adapt your expectations to what you have, right? Because you cannot expect to have the best output if you're giving it minimum quality input, right? So first things first. And then I think it's about, I'm going to go back to the same analogy for the startup stages. So I think the first thing would be to test and you actually try out different ways of working in terms of your operations, right? For example, when I was doing that at Flying Cat, I iterated with different uh, ways of how I was going to organize the content creation process and, and, and all the other uh, stages. And at first I was setting one day for one specific task for all the content that didn't work because I was not like, it didn't work for, for me. It didn't work the way that I was thinking about content. And then I started iterating that until I got to sprints in my design. So then I was working in different sprints for ideation, for creation, and one sprint was one week, right? So this part of the experimentation is going to take a while, most even, even more if you're going to, if you have different stakeholders, because I think the idea is to think about the processes as you think about a product. It eventually is, turns out to be a, a product. Uh, and then you need the feedback from the stakeholders. You need to iterate. You need to go back to the, to the drawing board. You then maybe you need to add something else or update it. So it's a constant change. But once you are okay, like you, you feel fine or it works for you, what you've created, then you can start optimizing 
the little things, you know, the little details. So maybe this task I can use, I don't know, like a chat GPT prompt to do this task and shorten it for, instead of it uh, taking one hour, it will take 45 minutes, right? And you go little by little iterating or adapting the workflow to better tech or better ways of doing it or less steps. So that's how I think that you can scale content production. But the first goes this like big chunk of experimentation uh, process that you need to do and you have to do it with the other stakeholders because of what I was explaining before, the buying from the people actually doing it is crucial because they are one piece, they are the piece, the piece that carries out all the production, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, that's how I see it. Yeah, Anne, what's, what's your take on it? Because I've experienced it firsthand, SEO work never stops. You kind of want to set it and forget it, but uh, then... <laughs> Anae comes back with an audit and you're doing SEO for the next month. <laughs> so yeah, how, uh, how to scale everything you're doing with SEO because you're managing 18 brands. Um, well, I think that first it's important to, to accept that scaling is never almost like it's never over. It's really not a set and forget thing. You always have to review your systems and then see where can you improve on it, but also be very clear on what is really something and like what is improvement and what isn't. So I always try to say, or try to look at the, the processes and see like, is this going to make it simpler, faster to execute? Or if, if I'm going to open the document, my eye, my eyes are going to roll back into my head and like, I'm not going to read all of this. So I really, try to make it like it's very difficult to make SEO exciting and visual and um, it's, it's not so easy but I, I think like every few months when I review it we're getting much much closer to the like a, um, a really good system and a well-oiled machine and um, so I would say that and also like something I've recently been doing that I think is very valuable for SEO, for example, is I group the SEO tasks according to business outcomes. So, but again, um, to reiterate how important alignment is with brands, because if you are very clear on their target audiences and, and everything like that, then um, and their goals for the next year, then the quality of what you as a SEO specialist can advise two brands are just so much better and, and more specific. So again, like I, I usually group the, the tasks then according to that. And then th that's how I kind of just then make sure that it gets implemented on a monthly or, or quarterly basis. And when I find that something gets stuck, we'll figure out why and uh, we see where we can improve or, or so on. And as Mila said, buy-in is very important. And uh, like one of the ways to do that is to, again, this is more specific, I think, to our type of business model. It could be different if you're in the agency side, for example, but I try to get the brand teams involved more where they do parts of the audits or the analysis with me on a call so that they can start thinking that way and looking at their website from that particular perspective. And that really helps instead of me just presenting an ACO audit to someone. 
And they're like, okay, here's the list of stuff you have to do. Like, instead of just doing that, I try to make brands more, to make it more interactive, essentially. And that really helps. I mean, I think the last time I did SEO was about 10 years ago and it was like all new to me. And then the fact that it's interactive and it's kind of like you're learning on the way, but also like brainstorming and adding to it. It's really helpful because you kind of, you start getting involved and yeah, it may not be the most exciting thing in the world, but it gets you, you know, your brain going a little bit and uh, yeah, you, you see how you can then put this on, on your own. So I think that's a great strategy, but I got the next question for you guys. So if a brand has a small budget, what would be a good way for them to build some EAT signals? Mila, could you take this? Yeah. Well, for me, it's it's a mantra. Interview people. Interview the subject matter expert. Interview the customers. Talk with peers. Like all of this, for me, because it's about experience and firsthand experience, you need to go with the people that have the experience. And normally that's not the writer. Even if you have a seasoned writer that writes about a specific topic and is well-knowledge, the people in the trenches are the ones that you need to go interview and, or, or talk to at least. And that's super cheap. Uh, it just takes, of course, time. But it's just, I, I, I wouldn't, it's, it's not for, possible for me to start doing any type of content that you wanted to maybe rank or even to just be interesting, right? Because then I'm not going to go to the SERP and check all the results and do the same because it just doesn't add any type of value. It is not interesting. Uh, so I think if you have low budget, even if you have low budget, you can still do an interview. You can still ask someone for a couple of lines of their opinion or maybe like an anecdote. Um, but that's the first, I think the first way to do it or the, the cheapest one. I don't know what you think. Anne. The crucial thing is to make sure uh, it's going to sound like a broken record, but it's, I repeat it because a lot of people skip this alignment again is super, super important. And to be very, very clear and to do thorough planning in the beginning, when you kick off any campaign or for the whole year, and to be very clear and like, make sure that everyone in your on, on your on the brand side, your agency side, wherever, is very clear on your business goals, and that this is then the SEO specialist or any other content specialist can tell you how to achieve those goals and how they can play a part in helping you achieve those goals. But having all your ducks in a row, having thorough planning and a foundation from the beginning will really help with your success of your campaign. And then to be very realistic with your budget and the time and the resources and your team skills that you have as well. So that um, you play to the strengths of your team or that you have and then outsource the this other stuff that where you're not so good uh, on necessarily. And, to really have that do all that thinking in the beginning of the campaign so that you don't end up wasting money like you can spend lots on backlinks or pr or you can spend money on certain campaigns or creating content that you might think is super popular but then it's not aligned 
with your business goal. So you, you will end up feeling disappointed anyway, because it won't be getting the results that you expected. So, or you might not be able to keep up if, if it was, if your website is not in a state where it can compete with really big brands, for example, or a big industry or something that's very competitive, you have to be realistic about how can you, what can you do on your website? Even if you're not a massive brand, what is realistic to what you could do to stand out or be found in search and not go after the more generic big content topics, for example, there's loads of this can be a whole AMA on its own, but, um, yeah, uh, I would say again, having all your ducks in a row before you start with anything will help you save money and will help you see more success in your campaigns. Great. Thank you. So I get a couple more questions for you. And uh, well, we started with, you know, what was so surprising in 2023. So what are your predictions for 2024? Will it be more difficult for early stage companies or, or companies that have neglected SEO and content to start building their strategies? Or will it be somehow uh, possible to hack SEO or content? I think it's also a little hard in the beginning if you're in early stage to rank in SEO. I think that you still should do it in terms of, I don't know, if you if you can create, for example, something interesting, like what I was telling about before, like the tools. I think that the, the, the thing that is lacking is not that it's going to be harder, but it, it's going to require more creativity from your end as a new startup or as an early stage startup. Because for example, this uh, way of creating tools to rank faster, was genius, or at least I thought it was very creative. And then, for example, there's another company that's called Rose. And they, for example, created this experiment that they removed their homepage and they just put their tool for people to use it. So there's no homepage. They just have the tool for you to use it there on, on your browser. And then if you want, you can go for paid for paid subscription. But it felt like very creative, very maybe risky, or you need to be very bold to try something like that. But I don't know the amount of uh, growth that they got, but it was an amazing experiment. And I think that at some point it's not about, well, it's going to be like extremely cliche, but it's true, like work smarter, not harder. So I think it will always be year after year is going to be more challenging in terms of creativity, but that's what it makes it so exciting. You know, uh, how can you generate a lot of growth with just doing something that is out of the box, you know? Right. So I think it's just that like that for everyone at some point. I think I agree with you because like, again, there are so many AI tools that could, you know, could take it over and like, produce a ton of mediocre content and you know that's super easy but to to really stand out you would have to be creative like that's why everyone's saying like yeah sure like you can leverage AI all you want but if you really want to move the needle then use it a bit differently but make sure that you are the creative mind behind uh behind the content that you're putting out Ane, what do you think what's your prediction for 2024 
Um, well, for 2024, we're already seeing it. it doesn't have to be 2024, uh, but like with the AI content, it, it's, you can't ignore it. It's definitely there. And there will be brands probably next year that's going to figure out how to leverage it a lot more, like better than what they currently are. And those competitors or brands will be able to produce a decent quality content to some degree that, that could outrank smaller businesses. Like that's definitely a possibility. And um, on top of that, uh, again, like if you are a small business, I don't think it's impossible. Or if you're like a startup or early phase, it's, it's not impossible for you to carve out a visibility for yourself in, in search results, but you're going to be, have to be very smart with, with how you go about it and be realistic with your, your plan. And, um, you'd probably need a SEO consultant, a senior SEO consultant that will help you prioritize certain efforts or evaluate your, your plan. If you already have one to just give their opinion and, um, yeah, that will really help. And then again, like the question about whether you, when you sh should start SEO, you should start it. Like, just keep in mind that like, you're going to have to start from scratch anyway, at some point. So you might as well just start with it. It doesn't have to be a lot that you do in the beginning, sort out your technical SEO, get that out of the way so that you you at least have the majority of that sorted. And then make sure that your on-site optimization is worked in with your content production teams as well, at least the foundations of it, internal links, your H1 updates, that you're using proper URL structures, keywords are above the fold, your metadata, all those things. Content structuring as well, are you using, um, is, is your content skimmable? Is it really easy for people to read? Like there are some things that you could do like that as well. And then you've taken care of all the basics. And um, then eventually when you're ready, you can start doing more like aggressive SEO and, and optimization. I wanted to add to what you were saying, even if you're not, if you don't know for a fact in day one that you're going to use SEO as your channel, because of course you don't know, um, even if you don't, you can still generate, you will need to start generating content. And there is no reason why you shouldn't do it respecting SEO best practices, right? And then uh, if at some point you have, you want to go the SEO route, then you have already generated content in your blog, in your website, wherever, to get some signals, right? You have some direction. You're not starting absolutely from scratch. And that gives the SEOs a ton of data to have, to know at least where to go in the beginning that you don't have extensive data. Uh, so I think, yeah, I, I agree with you that you need to start at least generating content from day one, right? And measuring it. I think we, we've got time for, for one more question. And everything that you, you said here, I think it's really, really helpful for, for a lot of founders, uh, a lot of content creators and experts out there. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about your inspiration, right? So who are you looking at uh, and like, where do you get the case studies? Where do you get inspired by other creators and where could founders go to, you know, to also learn a little bit more apart from your own, uh, your own social media. Mila, what about you? Okay. So, uh, 
the guy that I'm following super closely is Nick Lafferty because he has an amazing newsletter about solopreneurship. And uh, I don't know, it's just helping me a lot in my own journey as I go. It's a very lonely road. So I think connecting with other people going in the same, going through the same thing is extremely valuable and he really delivers. So I love him. And then Emilia from User Pilot, she talks a lot about content operations and SEO and gives a ton of value for free on LinkedIn. She's wrote a book about content operations. So definitely someone to follow. Well, Ben Goody, how the fuck I think it's called. Uh, he has amazing case studies and the way he frames, he frames them is, is really, really good. I don't know. I should, there are so many creators and they are doing yeah. amazing stuff. I don't know if I think about anyone else related to content operations while Anna is replying then I will, I will ch scooching one more name later, but uh, let me think about it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Anna, what about you? There are some like SEOs that I like follow or also look up to, like for example, uh, Nathan Gotch and uh, his stuff is always very realistic, which is what I like about his content uh, that he puts out. Kevin Indig, definitely, because um, well, he works with really big brands usually, but at, at the same time, he never, he doesn't create pictures that are unrealistic. And on top of like, like specific people, I tend to if something's not really been done in SEO before, if so, or if someone says that cannot be done, I tend to be quite rebellious and say like, no, you probably just haven't tried hard enough. Like for example, with scaling SEO in certain ways, uh, a lot of people would say, no, it's impossible. It just cannot be done. And I would say, no, it probably is a new undiscovered way of doing it. And I'll figure out what that is. And that's just... Kind of like where I generally get my, my inspiration from is unpaved roads. And also, yeah, just from like having this need to solve problems, I guess. But yeah, like uh, I would say that's where I get my inspiration from. And also from the fake content that we get on social media that just kind of makes me want to be able to... Um, put more realistic information out there and so that brands don't feel like things are so that brands don't feel like they shouldn't try because it's it seems too unachievable or out of their reach and it's it's really not the, the case at all right okay so Mila one more one more name to to scooch in the mix yeah yeah, well, it's not actually a name, but you know, I've been getting very inspired listening to audiobooks about business, about content, about SEO. I don't know, there's something about walking and thinking that some, you know, like the shower ideas that you have. Well, I have them walking, so that's a source of inspiration. It's not like it's not an actual creator. And then another thing is uh, talking with people. I love to do coffee, coffee chats or like these events that we are doing right now or networking face-to-face -face with someone. And when you start talking, it's really easy to think about things in a different way or think about things that you haven't thought of before because 
maybe for you is just so common or so 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 usual that you don't pay attention or to stop and think about it a little bit more yeah completely <laughs> agree i mean i have to write uh i do a podcast uh, a lot <laughs> so talking to people i know how inspired you can be and i think that help and like sharing the knowledge and that's why sometimes a bug uh an a to to jump on a call with me uh and uh <laughs> explain what's going on in the seo world not even just to like handhold me and walk me through like the things like the metrics that that we need to be covering but also, just because, you know, I want to get inside your her head and like, you know, just dig there a little bit and see like how how to get to these ideas without, uh, you know, needing to to buck her again. So, yeah, I think those those are great. So thank you, ladies. I mean, it's been great having you here. We will have we will do a podcast. So an audio version will be created out of it as a bonus episode for Sales and Bound podcast. It will be on Saturday, this Saturday. So, you know, stay tuned, go listen to yourself, uh, analyze, I don't know, repurpose the content, whatever you want to do. It will be on YouTube, of course, so there will be shorts. So I'll uh, ping you with all kinds of content. And yeah, thank you for, for sharing your wisdom. It's been great learning opportunity hopefully not just for me so thank you for being here and uh, i hope we can get it we can do it again sometime absolutely thank you so much for the invite this was so much fun yeah. and we got to think about these things you know like now i'm inspired i'm gonna write something <laughs> good thank you thank for you. having us sure anytime all right and take care <laughs>